Hello to everyone. My name is Tom Willis. For those of you who don't know me, I'm excited to be here today with my partners in crime, Brad Zimmerman and Amber McCurtis, as we talk about this topic of, of courageous conversations and, and talking about race. We're really excited to spend some time with you. Uh, I had an amazing family growing up, and my grandma used to always want just a sliver of pie, just a small sliver. So our goal today is to give you just a sliver of the pie that we hope will be helpful. Obviously, we're limited in time, um, so we can't dive as much detail as we'd love to. Um, but we're excited to have you. We're going to be talking about uh, diversity, obviously, and inclusion, you know, and, and creating distinctions there. The diversity is, uh, is really about how do you create uh, a representative body within your organization, within your community. It's almost like a fruit platter where all the different items are present, um, uh, but by itself isn't terribly helpful. That, that really great cultures, great teams have um, inclusiveness. And that's where we are. We think we are quite good at that. That's the work that we've done for uh, you know, 30 years um, and getting people to listen to each other even when they disagree, where people feel honored and, and heard. And so we're gonna be talking quite a bit about that today. Um, just personally, I've got a amazing wife and, and three little kids that keep me very busy, um, especially during this fascinating time that we're in. Um, and so with that, I'm gonna let Amber introduce herself. Okay, thank you, Tom. Um, I'm Amber McCurtis. I am married. I have three little girls. I um, have worked with Brad for about eight years and Tom for about four years. I um, been working behind the scenes for the most part, so uh, this is a new experience for me. <laughs> um, just a little uh, background of you know where I came from. I've lived in Michigan all my life. Um, grew up on the west side of Detroit. Um, went to all Detroit public schools uh, throughout my life. Um, grew up in a community where everyone looked like me. Went to school and had teachers that looked like me. And um, just look, my first dose of diversity was when I actually went to college um, in 1996. Uh, it was kind of my first exposure to any sort of diversity. So I just wanted to share that little bit of background about myself. So you guys should know that Amber is the one who does the real work in our organization. Oh. <laughs> When we get on the phone, we talk. And Amber you know, makes all the gears in the background, the surveys, the appointments, the all the all the stuff that's required to make the business work. She does. Um, we've kept her kind of hidden until now, but we're letting the secret weapon out. <laughs> it's funny because as I listen to Amber talk, um, uh, I, I realize that your background and mine are exactly the same. You know. Mm -hmm up in the 60s um, in a community where everybody looked like me. Um, uh, and I got um, exposed for the first time to, I don't know if it's enough to be called diversity, you know, in high school. Went to a high school of 1,500 kids in Bloomfield Hills, you know, the Lily White suburb. And um, uh, we had three black kids um, in the school. And they were very well accepted. and integrated and you know friends and we hung out together and all that good stuff but it wasn't exactly diverse you know um, and learning to really 
fact, I realize in looking back that they really took on kind of melded into the, the white culture at the, at the time. Um, and it really didn't start to happen for another probably 20 years that I really began to understand and appreciate the differences in the cultural, our cultural backgrounds and understand this and appreciate this idea of adversity. And when I get into co coaching, um, uh, we started from the start building cultures of inclusion, cultures where people honored diverse perspectives, honored women, honored people of color, frankly. And we very commonly have very open conversations when issues of race and color and gender and other issues of, of you know, diversity and inclusion come up. We embrace those discussions and always had and look to give clients the ability to have those discussions. So for us, this is kind of a natural opportunity. Oh, and there's one other thing I want to say that we're going to, you know, Tom just laid out kind of the distinction between diversity and inclusion. At the end of the webinar, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about the business case for, for inclusion. Um, you know, building inclusive cultures makes for a more effective organizations that can serve more people and serve those that they serve more effectively and more creatively. So we're going to get a little bit more depth, depth about that later. So while we're so we flip to the next, yeah, so, you know, many of you saw the article that we wrote, um, the articles that we've written on this subject and sent out over the last three weeks or so. And, um, uh, you know, we got a lot of response, a lot of email response from people. And one of the most interesting responses that I got was from a guy that I know, we'll call him Sam. And one of the, one of the lines in his was this, take your white guilt and shove it. Um, and then he added the most insidious racism today is the racism of low expectations, which I couldn't even think about because as soon as he said, take your white guilt and shove it, I got pissed. I, you know, like my brain went crazy and um, uh, I actually decided to sleep on it and not respond, which we'll talk about later. But, but my emotions got triggered and I got angry, defensive you know, a whole range of emotions, which takes us to the, to the next subject. You know? um, Amber, you wanna lead us off on this one? Oh, sure. Um, this is uh, just a question. What common emotional reactions do people have about the issue of race? Um, I think when people start thinking about having to have these conversations and maybe confronting some things and issues, all types of emotions um, bubble up in people. Um, it can be frustration, it can be anger, it can be sadness, it can be uh, hopelessness. Um, and just quickly, I wanna share a, a small experience that I had um, when I was um, still in college, I was, starting my first uh, real career job, if you will, um, at a, uh, a high-end interior design uh, showroom here in Michigan. Um, and we had a clientele base that we had to be in charge of. And I was excited. I was in this new position and um, nobody uh, I worked with looked like me. Nobody within the building looked like me. <laughs> um, so it was very, um, it was 
very um, little tense at first when I first started, but I had a situation where one of the assigned uh, clients that I had, I overheard him say he didn't want to work with me because I was black. Um, and this was somebody I had never had any interaction with, never even spoke to me, um, nothing. And he just solely didn't want to work with me because I was black. Um, and that, when I first heard it, I was saddened because I'm like, you know, why? And then, um, then I was angry and then I just felt um, helpless in a sense because I didn't know who, should I report this? Should I say something to somebody? But when the culture there, when everyone doesn't look like me, you're afraid to even speak up and say something about uh, a situation like that. So um, when you think about when you think about different emotions, and I just want everyone to kind of open up their chat box, if they will, and just type in different emotions that you think are common that people feel when when you think about race or having to discuss race. And you can just type it in the chat, and we'll see them. We'll see them go across there. So we got anger, tense, guilt, uncomfortable, <laughs> anxiety, fear, lots of fear. Yeah, lots of fear, shock. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Mm, embarrassed, yeah. 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 yeah, these are good, yeah. Worrying some. Defeated, yeah. All, all great examples. I can remember, um, you know, I, I worked in, in schools in Detroit for about 15 years at a wonderful school system. And the last five years that I was there as the, as the CEO, uh, superintendent and I remember a, a colleague of mine actually saying oh you grew up in in that city huh um, and I, I remember being defensive and angry about it and uh, only in reflecting on it did I realize that that quite literally the mayor you know 20 30 years before me was a, an avowed anti-semite and racist um, and I didn't know that I had no idea that I grew up sort of with that as the history of my city um, and it was only through my own processing of it that I came to a better place of, of um, understanding. Um, and I, you know, forever grateful for him for helping me to, to get in touch with that. And so if we take some of these emotions and we start to look at the ongoing email chain that we started with, you know, you can see that, that Brad slept on it, as he said, and um, didn't, didn't re react. He responded more appropriately saying, thanks for sharing, Sam. And he goes on to say that, you know, this isn't really an invitation to discussion, um, that, that what you're extending, and it's hard for us to have an actual dialogue. And it's an important point that, that we want to point to here is that we all have a choice, you know, and not just in these conversations, but in all conversations. Um, I have this choice every day with my three kids, frankly, of responding in a thoughtful way or reacting, you know, more emotionally, um, reacting in the moment and uh, coming back at somebody with the same energy that we're getting. Um, and that uh, the triggers are always there, but how we choose to deal with those triggers is completely up to us. I know it doesn't always feel that way, um, but 
it is ultimately up to us and how we how we uh, choose to respond. Um, do we want to be slow and thoughtful and and logical, or do we want to react sort of fast and and emotionally? And so, as we continue through the the email and chain, I would, if I can just add something there, that you know, before I responded to Sam. I had to let my anger subside, but then I had to think about what is it that I want to do? What's my objective here? And my objective was to try to get him to see that he was being so emotional, he was not effective at engaging me. That's why I said, if you're not going to listen, there's no more point in speaking, because I knew that would make him feel like powerless, you know? Um, uh, and it got his attention, and it got him engaged, and now you see the rest of the the rest of, of you know, the, the email chain that comes from that. And my point in pointing that out is that if we're going to have courageous conversations, we need to stop and think consciously about, okay, what's my objective in this? What am I trying to accomplish? What do I want people to walk away with this thinking? And how do I go about that? Because part of it is being provocative, but respectful. I was respectful to him and accepted what he said, but yet I wanted to prov be provocative. I wanted to provoke him thinking without triggering his anger, which frankly took a lot of thought. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry. No, no need to apologize. This is a this is a back and forth conversation. We wish we could engage, you know, the hundred of you that are joining us, um, but obviously, given the the time constraint, that's not quite possible. Um, so Amber, do you want to just briefly touch on this slide? Yeah, so this was, um, this is the follow-up to uh, uh, Brad's re response. Um, and I'll, I'm allow you to read it from the screen, but um, just wanted to point out some things um, that Sam said. Uh, particularly, he said, you and your message seem to imply it is racism solely coming from us white folk. Um, so to, to say that Sam's experiences or exposure or whatever the case may be, and, and when he read the email, it implied to him and how he felt that the email was applying that this is how, um, all white folks are or white people are. And what Brad and Tom were just referring to were just their own personal experiences. So it just shows you how you think you know what other people are thinking, but you really don't. You're just going off um, implications or past experiences that are developing these preconceived uh, notions that, you know, they're talking about, you know, me, Sam as the person. And that's, that's farthest from the truth. It was just a general statement about Tom and Brad's uh, past experiences. And, and if you look at the conversation, it kind of, how Brad, uh, uh, reacted to the situation it it although he seemed to still be irritated in this email it kind of opened the door for Sam to further explain what his frustrations were coming from and allow for the conversation to flow back and forth respectfully if that makes sense yeah and this last this last interchange to me was really interesting because his last line, how ironic, really, my fear is that the shaming will actually lead to bitterness and actual racism. 
So what started out was a very angry response from him, a very defensive response from him that looked to me like a white person saying, this is all bullshit, pardon me. Mm -hmm. Ended in him saying, I'm really committed to, you know, anti-racism, if you will. And my fear, I'm afraid that this shaming is going to negate that, is going to have a negative effect on what I'm committed to. And it, it points out to me something that we need to be aware of if we're going to have these courageous conversations, and that is, it's all fear-based. All of those emotions that you just listed, there's 41 things that people responded to in the chat box. I, I haven't looked at them all, but I'm going to bet that all of them start with fear. You know, I feel helpless. That's because I'm afraid that I'm, you know, I can make no impact. I feel hopeless. I, all those things arise out of fear. So the, the, the hurdle that we need to get over and that we need to help others get over when we're looking to have this, these courageous conversations in order to understand one another is our own fears and one another's fears. I don't know if that, if that makes it easier or if that makes it difficult, but that is what we got to overcome. Let's go to the next example. We're going to, or the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how does the brain work? Because uh, this idea of fear um, is built in, it's baked into how our brain works. This is a cognitive bias codex that we found someplace. And no, we're not going to go through all of this is way too much information, but I want, what I want you to see is that you get the picture of the brain in the middle and that ring that goes around it. I don't know if the, if the copy is big enough for you to be able to see it, but that ring that goes around it lists all of the possible biases that can come from just the way that our brain works and the way that our brain is, uh, um, uh, puts together information, the shortcuts it creates, and that kind of thing, all of which is unconscious. So it's natural for us that we're going to have biases, that we're going to come up with things that are illogical, that we are going to infer things from what other people said, just like Sam did in my email. He, he made it mean all kinds of stuff. And then he got mad at what he inferred not what I said. All of that is, it's, it's the way human beings work. And we have to realize that because if we keep making people wrong for come to these, these erroneous conclusions, and we put them in the bad people's list, then we're just going to further the problem. We have to realize that, yeah, people are emotional by nature. We are uh, illogical by nature. We do things that make no sense. And that's part of the lovely beings that we are. Even, even now, um, I'm um, sensing that some of you may even be reacting to this, you know, this idea that um, we versus I, you know, the, the shared experience of being a human versus my own experience. Um, and I know this one, you know, quite well. I was blessed to go to a, a very diverse high school in the city of Detroit. Um, and I uh, spent some time over in, over in Tanzania, Africa, and spent 15 years with the school system in Detroit that was 99.9% .9 African-American. Um, and yet, when I see this list of 300 
sort of biases, um, I realize how much farther I have to go. You know, that, that this is a, this is, it's, it's impossible, frankly, for us to be aware of all of these things. And so for, for some of you who may be even reacting already to some of this, I just, I'd offer that up to, to just, you know, just consider it. We're not saying that we have the answers or that we're right about this. We're just offering it up to be hopefully provocative so that you can, we can all uh, wrestle with this and, and say, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I, I do have some things to look at, or maybe, maybe there is a possibility that I don't know what I don't know. When I was first exposed to this, um, uh, someone said human beings are, are, are emotional animals. Um, we're being asked if we can make the text larger, Tom. Um, uh, and my reaction was, what do you mean emotional animals? I'm perfectly logical, <laughs> which I responded to with great emotion. Um, so that may or may not fit for you. That may or may not, that's kind of a hard pill for a lot of us to swallow, especially those of us who pride ourselves on how logical and analytic we are. Um, I have found it to be true, and I, I invite you to consider it, to start paying attention to the way you respond to things. And, you know, is it coming from emotion? Is it coming from your comfort zone? Um, or is it coming from a, a more Mr. Spock way of, you know, just purely logical thinking? Just start to pay attention and see what, see what transpires. How do we do it? We uh, so we're we're going to circle back to that um, diagram a little bit later. Unfortunately, we can't zoom in uh, terribly clearly, but we're going to share this afterwards. And I'm also happy to share the, the PDF version for those of you who are interested afterwards. The, uh, this little diagram of the brain, brain oh, Tom is going to walk through with us. Um, so again, what we're pointing to is that, you know, this, this is all rooted in brain science. This isn't Amber and Brad and Tom's opinion um, that these biases, these heuristics, these um, ways of thinking, you know, these, these effects um, all have um, science behind them. And so we're just going to, we're going to highlight a few of them here. You know, we are drawn to details that confirm our beliefs, confirmation bias, right? That we probably, most of us have heard of that, that um, that's one of the challenges we have today, I think, in dialogue is that we're only seeking out our own echo chambers. We're only seeking out things that we already agree with. And that's a, that's a challenge. Um, we notice flaws in others more easily than our own flaws. Uh, and, you know, this is, uh, I think, for most of us, pretty easy to see. Uh, we fill in uh, characteristics from stereotypes, generalities, and our history. Um, I, I know this one, you know, when I, when I got a chance to go over and spend some time in this high school over in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, Africa, it was one of two high schools to serve a few million kids. So you, you get a sense for how many students were lucky enough to go to high school. Um, and I had all sorts of sort of stereotypes and generalities in my head that were completely exploded when I got there. Um, in fact, I'll never forget the moment I was teaching about 40 kids. Um, I think they're all ninth and 10th graders. And um, I had this realization like, you know, kids are kids. That's what's, uh, that's what's so awesome about kids. It doesn't matter where they're from, how much resources they have. You know, kids are kids all around the world. Um, and it's actually what changed my my career trajectory um, in a very significant way and got me into teaching. Um, we think things or people that we are familiar with are better and safer. We think we know what other people are thinking. 
there's that Im implication thing that we saw in the email chain back and forth. Where there's all sorts of inferences and uh, we imply what other people are saying. We assume we know. Uh, we discard specifics to form generalities. It, it's just easier to store those things in our brain, you know, uh, to kind of lump things together and, and store it that way. And we store memories based um, on our emotional state. You know, this, uh, I was laughing when I read this one because it made me think of golf. And if you ever talk to golfers that love to golf, you get vastly different um, reactions to the same golf course because of how the person played that day. Um, the golf course didn't change, but the, 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 the memory of it changes dramatically because of the emotional state that we're in. And just another example of that, I, and I laid this out on something we wrote <clears throat> recently. And I, I remember as a 12-year-old returning on a bus from northern Michigan to Detroit. It was 1967s, and we literally rolled back in the middle of the riots. And we were told to lay down on the bus seats because there were black people that were uh, snipers out there shooting at people and there were fires burning. And I mean, it was, I remember being scared to death. I was scared before we even got there, just hearing about what was going on. Um, uh, and that fear shaped the way that I looked at people of color and I think still does, frankly. Um, I wish it didn't, but being in that state of fear shaped the way that my brain, you know, holds that. It's, um, you know, we haven't made the distinction, but the upper part of our part of our brain that was in that diagram, did we lose our, our PowerPoint, Tom? And the lower point are two distinct areas. The top are, are the, the logical, the centers of, of, um, of thought. And the lower portion that you see there is the limbic system. Those are the centers of emotion and the unconscious place where we, we store our unconscious learning. Um, and those are the centers that are really in charge of our behavior. Brain science has found this out, that we, we can handle something like 68,000 pieces of information in the, in the um, uh, limbic system in the unconscious part of our brain, whereas we can store, you know, a few hundred at a time in the conscious portion. So my point is that we're not really in control of our unconscious portion of our brain until we become aware, like I'm now aware that that fear has shaped my outlook on people of color. And now that I'm aware of it, I notice when it happens and I don't allow the fear to determine my behavior. So uh, this simple idea is really important, you know. Just want to spotlight some of these. I was able to zoom in here, so hopefully you all can see some of them. But, you know, placebo effect, we've probably most of us have heard of um, humor effect, availability heuristic, the ostrich effect, the hard dash easy effect, um, cryptomnesia. I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. Um, Occam's razor. This is a good one, the Ikea effect, uh, curse of knowledge, um, cheerleader effect, and on and on. There's, you know, there's some 300 of them here um, that just is, you know, it's pretty dizzying how, how quick we are um, to create these ways of thinking that are just automatic and almost unconscious. So with that, 
Amber's going to talk a little bit about you know the role of the role of these emotions because as we talk about them, um, that we don't want you to walk away thinking these are bad things. These are these are part of being human beings, and they're they're quite useful. Yeah. So um, emotions are essential for survival. Um, no matter what kind of emotion um, it is, even um, hearing Sam's email, it was hard for me to even hear it that that was his point of view. Um, so it kind of erupted a little like an anger in me, like, well, why, why would he feel this way? So, but to hash it out and, and go through the different phases of it is an important process. Um, just a quickly, when we started, um, kind of when the world started uh, being more exposed to these issues and you know, the George Floyd and all these different things start happening and across the world start happening. Um, a situation where Tom actually reached out to call me. Um, I wanted to reach out, but I didn't know what to say because I just didn't know what his feelings was with everything. Although I had a, you know, a relationship or working relationship with him for four years, um, I still was unsure or didn't feel safe you know, ex fully expressing myself. So when Tom called me, it was it was just a simple, easy question. Amber, how do you feel? Not how do you feel about what's going on? Not how do you feel about, you know, what, what everybody is saying? It was just strictly, you know, Amber, how do you feel? And that um, sort of opened the doorway for us to have a dialogue back and forth to share stories of our experiences. And the conversation ultimately, you know, got around to, you know, how do you feel about the situation? And, you know, what do you think is happening? You know, it, it finally got to that point, but the leeway into that was just simply being um, curious enough to call me up and, and ask and, um, and being courageous because that took a lot of guts because I wasn't going to do it. Um, and just to simply care enough to just ask me simply, you know, how I was, how I was doing and feeling. And it's a it's a simple it's a simple gentle notion, but you know it works. You know because people want to feel cared about, especially you know, and it's a working relationship. It can be difficult because you know you you don't want to jeopardize your livelihood. You don't want them viewing you differently. You don't want anything you say to be implied a different way. So it can be a struggle, but to hash those hash those feelings out. So I went from being scared to uh, uh, feeling like I had a trusted source and time to fully express myself. And what um, Amber doesn't know is that it took me about two days to, to muster that uh, courage to call her. And it wasn't all that complicated, but you know, that, that fear was present for me as well. You know, that does she really want to go here? What am I going to say? What if I say the wrong thing? Um, you know, all those thoughts kind of swirling through my head. And so, her willingness to just be open to it um, allowed me to, to continue with the conversation as well. well. One of the points to be made here is that <clears throat> if we're going to create cultures of inclusion, that we as individuals need to learn to be more inclusive. We need to include things that we don't like which means that we need to accept our own fears and not defend the fact that we're not afraid, as we are. 
We also need to accept that other people, when they act angry, it's because they're afraid. When they act defensive, it's because they're afraid. When they act out in all the ways that people act out, it's all rooted in fear. And if we don't accept it, include it, and give them grace for it, and then help them deal with it in ways that are productive, then we are not being inclusive. Because to exclude somebody because they're angry is to be exclusive, mm -hmm. just as an example. And we do it all the time. In fact, a lot of the work, that, the kind of work we do is more sort of, you know, be on the good people's list and be positive and be, you know, all that stuff. And don't be on the bad people's list. That's negative. And that's, you know, no, we got to learn to include that people are, get cynical sometimes. People get afraid. People get pessimistic sometimes. In fact, there's actually some value in pessimism some other time. Um, so being inclusive is including that which we, which we don't like, as Susan just said. Amen to including the stuff we don't like. So if we, if we accept that premise that, you know, that, and again, if we had more time, we'd, we'd take a much deeper dive in this, we'd have conversations, and we don't mean to infer that that fear is sort of a simple answer. Um, we're using it as a proxy for all of these different emotions. And so if we accept that as a premise, then you know what's what's greater than those feelings? And we would offer up that, you know, being aware, uh, being open, being courageous, being responsible, being curious, being kind, um, those are the things that make a difference. Those are the ways that you combat all of these different challenges. Um, and none of these are easy, frankly. Um, each one of these is probably a, a multiple hour conversation because if you, if you notice, it's not so much about sort of the tactics of what do we do? You know, here's the top three things you can do to build a inclusive culture. No, these are about who we're being, that we have to make a conscious choice every day. Sometimes, you know, in parenting, I have to make a conscious choice three or four times in one conversation with one of my kids, um, am, I, am I reacting or am I responding here? And so we wanna take a, a deep dive into just one of these to give you sort of a, a taste of what we're talking about. And before you go to that slide, Tom, you know, just, just by way of a brief explanation, when we say be aware, we mean be aware of your own unconscious thoughts. When somebody says to you, you're being, you know, exclusive or, just said something that's that, that's uh, racist, like someone said to me once. Our initial reaction is to say, no, I'm not. But that's an opportunity for awareness. That's an opportunity to say, wow, that's interesting. He took or she took what I said as a racist comment. That's not the way I meant it. Help me to understand. Help me to become aware of how I'm coming across. Be open. You know, actually open your mind. Be willing to entertain ideas that you don't agree with, even those that trigger emotions that you feel strongly about, that are part of your value system. You know, be courageous, get, get over it. I mean, muster the courage when you're afraid. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Be responsible, particularly responsible for your emotions. That's uh, in the interchange with Sam earlier that I referred to. 
I realized I was angry and I was defensive and I had to stop and be responsible for, I can't react from those emotions. I need to take a little time to set the emotions aside so that I can really think through a response. I mean, curious we're gonna dig into and kind is just be willing to tell people the truth, be willing to tell people what they need to hear. That friend of mine that spun me around in the airport and said, do you realize how racist what you just said was, was being very kind to me. It was 30 years ago, I'll never forget it. It changed my life because it helped me be aware of a way I was coming across that I wasn't, I was completely oblivious to. Um, uh, her kindness was a huge contribution and it was very uncomfortable for her to do. It took courage. So that's kind of what we mean by these things. And now we are going to take a deeper dive into the curious aspect. You know, the, the conversation that Amber mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that she and I had, you know, frankly, uh, at that time, uh, it, it doesn't escape us that Brad and I know that we're both white males um, and that uh, we, we shied away from this. I almost ignored it, frankly, for the first few weeks um, and saying, well, you know, I, I don't know that what we can do, right? Um, kind of gave myself an excuse and it was in talking to Amber that it really hit me like a like a flash of lightning that we know we need to do something I don't know what that is but we need to do something we need to go and figure out a way to to contribute and, and help take our expertise in helping people have conversations and to provide some way to do that which is ultimately what led to this this webinar um, and so one of the great values of doing this well um, is that it, it nurtures all sorts of ideas that are that don't come to mind. It literally can generate new ways of thinking um, just by having the conversations. So the curiosity part we think is particularly important. It's just like Tom's, you know, calling Amber and simply saying, how are you? You know, it's an open-ended question. So if you're looking to learn to be curious, now, the way our brains work is, we said earlier, we're looking to confirm that which we already know. We're always looking to confirm or affirm or gain acceptance from others from that which we already know. It's just the way the brain works. How do I know? Because people, you and I and all of us, continuously ask closed-ended questions when we're trying to figure out what, you know, understand something. We'll say to people, don't you think this? Or um, uh, uh, why don't we do that? It's, a, it's we're closing it down. We're constantly trying to affirm. Don't you agree that we're constantly trying to affirm? Just start to notice how seldom you use open-ended questions. And instead, how often we're looking to just confirm our opinion. Um, uh, so be curious. Some examples. You know, these are the... the the six words that start every open-ended question that I learned in Miss Siebert's fifth grade English class that I never really learned how to use until I was in my mid-30s and I got some extensive training. You know, uh, who, do you, who do I remind you of? You know, there's people in your past that, that, that I may remind you of that may trigger positive emotions or negative emotions that have an effect on what you think of me. What are you thinking now? You know, just find out what, what are people thinking? You see that look on their face and you wonder, oh boy, they're pissed. Well, but just, what are you thinking now? Where did you learn that? 
when did you experience that? Why do you think I'm implying that? You know, I, I could have said to Sam, where, why do you think I'm implying that? Where did you come up with that conclusion? Or the last one, how did you come to that conclusion? We're, we're just offering these as examples, but using close, I mean, open-ended questions to start these um, um, courageous conversations is the key. If you get good at asking open-ended questions and can stay with it, you will become very good at learning to understand other people's perspectives. And if you don't, you won't. It's that simple. So this is kind of the one set of, this is the one tip that we're providing here is learn to use open-ended questions. It's one of the most powerful leadership tools out there. In a, and in a series, you know, of three, four, five, six open-ended questions. Um, what we tend to do is we, we tend to ask one or two, and then we come back with our response. You know, we come back with trying to prove the other person right or wrong. And so if you really want to get good at these, the, the ultimate challenge is to, to ask, you know, a half dozen of them um, before you insert a thought or an opinion, because it will really help you to, to really understand what the, where the other person is coming from. So what fears are in the way of talking about race with other people from other races? What, what fears do you see? So open up your chat box and just give us an idea of what fears do you have about talking about race with people of another race? And what fears do you see that others have? Sometimes it's easier for us to see the fears that others have. And let's see what you have to say. Saying something dumb, yeah, I share that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I might say the wrong thing. Uh, being misunderstood, offending someone. Mm -hmm. Being misunderstood, backlash. backlash. Yeah. Presenting information that sounds ignorant. Mm -hmm. Fear of insensitivity, being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. The fears around talking, whoops, that I'll inadvertently say something offensive. Yeah, my fears are on talking with people of the same race as mine. That's interesting. Being misunderstood, being judged harshly. Within my own race, I see lots of uh, judgments and I'm afraid I'll get angry with them. Having hidden feelings that are not popular. Yeah, they get defensive and don't want to hear or understand. Hallelujah. Um, I had a discussion with a friend and I preface it by saying, I believe this is a safe place to have this conversation. So it's a great way to kind of send a signal to people that, okay, get ready. I'm going to have a tough conversation. So make me make it safe. Being belittled or treated as if my view is not uh, converse, uh, not valid. Yeah. My expressions might be taken wrong. Yeah, these are, these are just notice. How many of these, as you read them in the chat box, notice how many of these you share. I think I've shared every single one of them so far. I keep nodding saying, yep, I'm afraid of that one. Absolutely. We could go on all day on just this. Here's a good one. Not being skillful enough to facilitate my community and being labeled a racism, a racist, uh, you know, being labeled in some way. Um, 
Some people feel attached by attacked by the surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So and there's um, notice that those are the fears in the way. And the question to ask yourself is how do I overcome that fear? How might I approach this? First of all, get clear about what is the fear that's impeding me right now. I'm afraid of being heard wrong, misunderstood, whatever, as an example. One of the best things to do is one something that one, one person referred to there in leading programs, I do this all the time. If I notice I'm afraid of something, I'll just tell the person or the group, I'm afraid that this is going to come off wrong, or I'm afraid that I might be misunderstood because I'm not sure how to say this, or I'm afraid that I don't have the appropriate skill to really be able to na navigate this subject, but I'm going to try anyway. You know, please help me. Um, acknowledging that fear to the other person builds a partnership so that they realize you're afraid and it makes them actually want to help you through that fear. And it also allows you to be able to get past the fear because we're not trying to hide that we're afraid anymore. We're now able to just engage in the discussion. Another tip. Amber, what do you want to say about this ongoing dialogue issue? Um, just, I think it's just important to remember that this, this can't be a one and done type of situation. Um, this can't be like, okay, I talked about it, you know, I'm relieved and, and move on. Um, like I said, when me and Tom had our initial conversation, we have had, and Brad, we've all had multiple conversations since then. And I don't feel like there's any barriers uh, between what we discuss and, uh, you know, share as far as our experiences. I don't feel like I have to uh, hold back something be because of fear of what you might think of me. I think we, we all kind of know each other well, well enough and know um, our intentions are, are genuine, you know. So it's just, this is just one of my favorite quotes. It's something that I, I carry in my heart you know, all the time. And it's why my, my Angelo is, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's just to go back to me and Tom's initial conversation. I can't even tell you any details about that conversation, but what I do remember is how Tom made me feel by A, you know, extending his hand to call me and then B, just genuinely asking how I felt. I remember that. I can't remember anything else about the conversation of what all we covered. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not too long ago, me and Tom, you know, discussed it and he, and he was feeling the same way. He was like, I don't really remember what we talked about, but we got the, the, the back and forth and the understanding between each other to have a respectful dialogue about it. So because we had that that leeway we have an open an ongoing open dialogue around this issue and there's no there's no tension and there's no um i feel like i can't fully show up because of my experiences or because of my thoughts and vice versa just one of which is one of my great dreams frankly is that you know <clears throat> we become so polarized and you know we humans we were right right if you think about it for just a second if I'm wrong about something, I'm going to change my opinion and I'm going to be right again. 
So I'm always right because I'm, I'm always either right initially or I change my mind and, and become right. Um, and I think we've become so focused on trying to prove other people wrong or trying to convince other people that they're wrong and we're right, that we lose uh, the, the, a lot of the value of relationships and just getting along as human beings, you know, getting along as fellow countrymen um, and to just listen to each other and to, and to stop trying to convince other people that they're right or that they're wrong um, and that we can, we can relate to each other. There's so many things way more important, in my opinion, than politics. Um, <laughs> we've got a short time on this earth um, and, and, and politics is, is interesting and great and important but it's, it's not the top 10 list for me. So Brad's gonna talk a little bit about, you know, these, these words, inclusion, equity, diversity, you know, they get thrown around a lot, um, but I don't think they're really often understood or, or dove into and, and, and peeled apart. Yeah, the, uh, I read an article from uh, Wharton Business uh, School, some writer from there just, just this week that talked about the difference between these three. And I think they're, it's really important that I'm going to stop at the, start at the bottom. And, and Tom touched on this at the beginning. You know, diversity is about, you know, what is, the, what is the group of people, what is the team that we're on look like? Well, how are we constituted? You know, what, what representation do we have from different age groups, different races, genders, et cetera. That, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty obvious. And relative to inclusion anyway, easier to manage. I'm not saying it's easy, but easier. Equity, same way. It, it's are we being equitable? Are we being fair in terms of pay and opportunities and those kinds of those? Those things can be measured. They can be tracked, as can diversity. Um, we can issue policies about both equity and diversity and then make sure in measurable ways that we're living up to them. Inclusion is quite another subject though. Inclusion is a question of how well equipped are the individuals that comprise our organization, whatever that organization might be, how well equipped are they to be able to listen effectively, to be open with others? How well equipped are they to be able to be curious how well equipped are they to be responsible and aware of their own emotions? If we're going to build a culture of inclusion, then we need to equip people with the capability to not be exclusive. Because as human beings, to further Tom's point, when we make other people wrong, we just exclude them, we dismiss them, which is why we get so polarized and why we can't get anywhere. So, to create an inclusive culture is to create a culture where ideas I don't agree with are, are, are uh, considered and given merit and weight, um, uh, where we listen openly, where we actively look for other ideas. Um, in fact, I, I just got a, a piece from Daniel Goldman this morning, ironically. I haven't had a newsletter from him in years and it popped up this morning. He said, recent research at the University of California finds that when two people talk, the more powerful person pays less attention than does the power, the power, the less powerful one. So if you're the boss at work, you tend to listen less than others. If you're in a position of authority, certainly as parents, I know I listen a lot less. Um, if you're in a position of authority, you tend to listen less 
according to research, which you might say that's not true, but maybe you're just not aware that you're doing it. So there's a business case for this. You know, if, if, if you get better at listening, if you get better at including other ideas, you build a team that's more creative, that's more aware of the needs of different segments within the society. So uh, they're more effective. So the first one here talks about 45% of American workers experienced discrimination and or harassment in the past year. Which is why people are looking for more diverse and especially inclusive cultures and organizations. Companies with higher than average diversity had 19% higher innovation revenues. They have a way of measuring innovation revenues. Companies in the top quarter for diversity are 35% more likely to surpass their peers. And gender diversity, 15% more likely. Companies with two-dimensional, meaning um, uh, 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 you know, diversity of both types, diversity are 45% more likely to report that they had captured a larger portion of the market and 70% more likely to have entered into a new market in the past year. So diversity and inclusion, ironically, is what made this country so strong. It's why we're such an economic powerhouse, because we are the melting pot. The problem is that we haven't allowed everybody to melt. We still got segments of the population who haven't been fully embraced and included. And by doing so, we will become more effective at serving those that we serve, at providing better service. I don't care whether you're a nonprofit, you're a for-profit, you as an organization will become better at doing what you do and provide greater value to people in the marketplace. And by the way, for 29 years, that's what we've been doing, is helping people to become more inclusive and uh, our clients' profits, their revenues, all of those measures show it. They're, they all uh, increase pretty dramatically after we've uh, worked with them. So our own experience affirms these points too. So I just want to make you aware we've got two programs going forward to expand on this little hour-long, you know, slice of pie that we gave you. The first is courageous conversations leader training, just training people in how to have these discussions, um, how to carry them off, how to teach the people in your, on your team to be able to have it and how to facilitate such a discussion. That'll be open to the public. We'll publish dates soon as to when that, that'll be available. Um, it's gonna be a, a one day training program. And then the second one, who are, the second program is really the in-depth program. It's really the, you wanna create an inclusive culture this is the one. This is the, you know, let's get your leadership team together and let's do that leadership training that we talked about before, but then let's have these conversations among the leadership team. Remember we said that leaders tend to listen far less than the people who are following. Well, let's train people to listen. Let's train people to be inclusive. And when we have people together, we create new cultural norms in this program so that people can go out and rather than being afraid of trying this new stuff, they're now supported by all their peers and, and actually expected 
to try this new new stuff. And, so, and we're and we're actually having the real conversations. We're not we're not talking about tips and tricks of doing this. Um, the the first program is very much focused more on that, you know, because it's one or two leaders at a time from a company. But the the inclusive culture, the second one, is really about let's have some real conversations. Let's actually do this. Let's not stop talking about it in theory. Let's let's try it and see how it goes and learn from it as we go together. So if you just take 10 seconds and either email yourself or write down a sticky note, you know, um, how will you put to use what we've discussed today? The, the act, the simple act of just writing it down, even if it's only one thing, um, it's amazing how it can lock that into our brains and get us into action. So take, take a few seconds and just, just do that. Write, write down something that you're taking out of this, whether it's one thing or, or two things um, that you want to go put into action. If you put those things into action, this will be an hour very well spent. And if this is just another experience of, uh, oh, wow, that was interesting, it won't be, a, it'll be a waste of an hour. And we invite you to make it an hour well spent. Get into action. So we wanted to share a few resources from Harvard Business Review, from Wharton, from McKinsey, uh, a couple books that, that we think are, are quite good um, and quite challenging, frankly. Um, uh, because they're good doesn't mean that they're easy reads. Um, I know myself, I, I found myself reacting to some of what was said. Um, and that was the best coaching of all, because if I didn't agree with it, there's probably something of value to wrestle with and to sleep on. Um, so again, we could circle back to these uh, afterwards. You can go in and get the, the, the details on these links and whatnot, but they will be available as a part of this webinar afterwards in the recording. Um, and we just want to wrap up with, with thanking you all for, for your time. You know, we, we know that everyone's busy. Um, there's a lot of things on everyone's plates and um, it's not always easy to, to find the times for things like this. And the fact that you showed up shows a commitment to, to taking uh, these conversations, taking these dialogues to the next level. Um, and then just practically, you're going to get a couple emails. One is a survey. We love the feedback. We'd love to know what, worked for you, what didn't work, you know, how we can improve going forward. And then the second email will be a recording, a link to this recording, uh, along with some more information about our programs, if you're interested in those. So with that, I'm going to let Brad and Amber just uh, wrap up. Amber? I, I just want to thank everybody. I know um, everybody's Zooming, Zooming meetings all throughout the week, so I appreciate the time and, and uh, the, the courage you're taking to even sign up for a webinar like this takes a lot. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate you signing up and listening. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to add that, uh, you know, we haven't got this figured out. Um, we're not standing here saying we have the answers and come to us because we have the answers. What we're saying is we have a lot of questions and together we can work through this because the only way we're going to get this done is if we co-create a whole new culture, a whole new way of interacting. And none of us have the answers. None of us know how to go about this, but I'm confident that together we as a people will get through this and we will create it together. And we would love to be a catalyst to make that happen in, a, in our small way. So thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you all. Bye.